Revelation chapter 17. I'm going to read to you the whole chapter, verses 1 through 18. It's Revelation 17, verses 1 through 18. My goal for tonight is to finish chapter 17 and 18. I know it's a big task, but chapter 17 and 18 cover the destruction of Babylon. As you're going to see, chapter 17 deals with the destruction of the city of Babylon and the kingdom of the Antichrist because of spiritual unfaithfulness and religious idolatry. Chapter 18 is going to deal with the future destruction of the city of Babylon and the kingdom of the Antichrist because of commercialism and materialism and all that. So we're going to be diving into quite a bit tonight. So in chapter 17, starting in verse 1, John says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on the many waters, who with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was, is not, and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it's an eighth, but belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast." These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with Him are called, are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute, and they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire." For God has put it into their hearts to carry out His purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So as you can see, there's a lot to cover just in this one chapter. And we are hope to get to chapter 18 tonight. No promises, but we'll just see how far we get. All right. Again, like I said at the beginning, we see the future judgment of the Babylon because of its religious idolatry. Chapter 18 is going to deal with... Babylon's destruction for its material idolatry. Now the woman, Babylon, is accused of committing sexual immorality with the kings of the earth. Now that might be hard for us to say, how could a city commit sexual immorality with kings of the earth? Well, what I want to do is take you back to a couple of passages of Scripture that talk about the fact that this quote-unquote sexual immorality is spiritual unfaithfulness. See, God's a jealous God. The Bible's very clear about that, and He wants to be worshipped alone. And any worship of anything else, or any other God, or any other thing, he calls what? He calls it idolatry. And let me show you what I mean. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
Look at verses 1 through 9 and then verses 14 and 15. Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9. God speaking through Moses, and he says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Look at verse 14. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and He destroy you off from off the face of the earth. So God made very clear at the beginning when He revealed Himself to the nation of Israel, He said, the Lord is one. He's one and He's the only one to be worshipped. You know from the Ten Commandments, what is the first one? You shall have what? No other gods. And the Bible actually describes whenever someone worships anything else, it calls it idolatry or actually unfaithfulness. Go with me to James chapter 4. In James chapter 4, look at verses 4 and 5. Can't be any more clear than this, folks. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in you? Did you catch that? Here again, he says God's a jealous God. Even for those of us who have been born again and been given His Spirit, when we who are Christians start going after things of the world and we're enticed by the things of the world, the jealous God within us considers that unfaithfulness. And that's why even you could even see Paul earlier in another place, and when you're writing to the church in Corinth, he says, I presented you to Christ as a pure bride. Why have you gone after others? So when the Revelation talks about this woman who has committed sexual immorality with the kings of the earth, it's talking about the fact that religious idolatry is what this woman, it's not only Babylon, but you're going to see it's religious idolatry. This woman has taught the kings of the world to worship other things besides God. Now, in order to understand how in the world this all ties to Babylon, you've got to go with me back to Genesis chapter 10. Go with me back to, sorry, chapter 11, then we'll jump back to chapter 10 in a bit. Go to Genesis chapter 11. From the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, there's always been a temptation to sin. Let's be honest, when Adam and Eve decided to listen to Satan instead of God when it came to that tree, they were unfaithful. But organized religion has its root in this city called Babylon. We know it as Babel when it first came out. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as a people migrated from the east... They found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. 
And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, they all have, have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there and confuse their language so that they may not, not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord dispersed them from over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So here in this city that was called Babel, the people said, we don't want to be dispersed over the whole earth. Let's make a name for ourselves here. And they began to build a tower up to the heavens. Before God dispersed them, what did he say? Look closely at what he says. If as a people all speaking one language, they do this, nothing will be impossible for them. Now, I've got to be honest with you. For years, when people used to talk about cloning and all this stuff that may happen down the road, my human side was, oh, they'll never be able to do that. But then the Lord took me to the fact that the scripture, God said, with one, as one people with one language, nothing will be impossible for them. If God says that, it might be true. And I am being sarcastic. It's true. Do you all realize what's happened over the years? Yes, he dispersed them and confused their languages. But over the years, what's happened, especially with our day and age of computers, the world is all coming back to speak a common language. And it's coming back. It's coming back. Go ahead. In our country, it's uh, no longer a melting pot. And uh, when, when it was a melting pot and everybody spoke the same language, we did marvelous things. Yes. <laughs> but that's, that's going away rapidly. Yes, definitely. Well, there's a whole, we could go off and what's happening to America without question, but what I want you to see though is it also says there's nothing new under the sun. That's right. And will be. Exactly. So the world was that way at that time. He dispersed them. But I want you to see that the Bible actually says that it all started there and it's going to come back there. Put a bookmark in Genesis chapter 10 because we're coming back there. But I want you to go real quickly to a passage I've showed you in times past, but I want you to see it again in this context. Zechariah chapter 5, starting in verse 5. It says, Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, Lift up your eyes and see what it, that is that is going out. And I said, What is it? And he said, This is the basket that is going out. And he said, This is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, the leaden cover was lifted, and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, this is wickedness. And then he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. Then I lifted up my eyes and saw, behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings, and they had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. Then I said to the angel who talked with me, where are you, they taking the basket? And he said to me, where? To the land of what? Does that sound familiar? Didn't we just read that? In Genesis chapter 11, to the land of Shinar to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. Folks, when this prophecy is being given, you have to understand the things that have been going on in Babylon have already occurred with Nebuchadnezzar and so on. This is a prophecy of something that's yet future. And the iniquity of all the land and wickedness is going to be moved. It, its headquarters is going to be moved to Babylon at the appropriate time. It'll be set there on its base. Now go back with me to Genesis chapter 10. I kind of want to take you back real quick to Genesis chapter 10, verses 6 through 10. In Genesis chapter 10, look at verses 6 through 10. It says, The sons of Ham 
were Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabbath, Ramah, and Sabtika. The sons of Ramath were Sheba and Dedan. And Cush fathered, this is important, fathered a person named Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. So Nimrod is the one who began to build this area called Babel in the land of Shinar. Now keep in mind, I'm not going to take the time to go there. This information is available if you want to study it and double check me. But you can do a little research on this guy Nimrod and you will find that Nimrod, is the historical accounts are that he was married to this one lady named Semiramis. And supposedly, he and Semiramis had a miracle child that was miraculously conceived, and that child's name was Tammuz. And actually, organized false religion of false gods began in Babel with Nimrod and Semiramis and Tammuz, and actually, nations began to worship this miraculous child who had been given birth named Tammuz. And you know who also fell to worshiping him? The Jews. Go with me real quickly to Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel chapter 8. Look at verses 1 through 18. Ezekiel chapter 8, verses 1 through 18. <clears throat> it says, In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. And then I looked, and behold, a form that had the appearance of a man. But what he appeared to be, what, sorry, what appeared to be his waist was fire. And above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness, like the gleaming metal. He put out the form of a hand and took me by the lock of my head, and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the gateway of the inner court that faces north, where, where was the seat of the, of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the valley. And then he said to me, Son of man, lift up your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted up my eyes toward the north, and, I be, and behold, the north of the altar gate and the entrance was this image of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they're doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here to drive me far from my sanctuary, but, but you will still see greater abominations. And he brought me to the entrance of the court. And when I looked, behold, there was a hole in the wall. And then he said to me, Son of man, dig in the wall. So I dug in the wall, and behold, there was an entrance. And he said to me, Go in and see the vile abominations that they're committing here. So I went in and saw, and there, engraved on the wall all around, was every form of creeping thing, things and loathsome beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel. By the way, where, where is uh, Ezekiel finding all these idols? In, in the temple area. And before them stood the seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel, with Jazaniah the son of Shaphan standing among them. Each had his censer in his hand, and the smoke of the cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, each in his room of pictures? For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. He said also to me, You will see still greater abominations that they commit. Then he brought me into the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord, and behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. Yes, fertility God. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? You'll see in greater abominations than these. And then if you keep reading, you'll see. And that's why God said he was going to bring the judgment on Israel and remove his spirit from the temple. 
And so, folks, what I want you to understand is, remember back when we read in Genesis 11, they said, we don't want to be scattered across the whole earth. We want to make a name for ourselves here. We want it to be about us and what we have in mind. And they began to have organized false religion. By the way, does anybody realize how important it is that it said we don't want to be scattered over the whole earth? What did God said back in Genesis chapter 1 to Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We don't want to fill the earth. We want to make a name for ourselves. And let me just say to you folks, that's one of the problems of our churches today. We get more interested in our numbers, whether or not we're growing, whether or not our kingdom, whether or not our church. And we even start becoming jealous of other places that might be having more numbers or bigger ministries. And there's this mentality of we want to make a name for ourselves. That's not what God wants. He just wants us to walk with him and to go where he wants us to go because he wants his name sped, spread throughout the earth. It's not a competition between ministries. It's a matter of saying, Lord, what would you have me do? Where would you have me go? I want to be a part of that. So this is just a short, short teaching on this. I did it in a lot more detail on my website. If you go back to 2009, study on Revelation, you can get more if you want. But I just want you to understand that in Babel, started by Nimrod, and that still makes me laugh, because if you ever grew up watching Bugs Bunny, then I remember how he used to always call someone a Nimrod. Well, this is where it came from. It's where it came from, from the Bible. But Nimrod was the one who started Babel, and he's the one that started all this organized false religion and the worship of other things, and God scattered them. And as we see, all throughout history, Babylon has been the seat of the headquarters of what? The kingdoms of the world. And it's going to be involved in this last kingdom to come. Yes, it's going to be a part of the revived Roman Empire, but the revived Roman or the old Roman Empire included that area. Some people have wrestled with and they say, Jim, it has to be the Antichrist headquarters has to be Rome because that's a city on seven hills. And here this woman sits on. We'll deal with that in just a little bit, but I'm going to show you how that can't be Rome. We're going to deal with that tonight. But at the same time, if you do a study, the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 talks about that the prince of the people who will come will destroy the temple and the sanctuary. And if you do a study of the Roman Empire back in the time that in AD 70 when the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was ransacked, that actually the armies of Rome were broke down into divisions. And the division that actually did the destruction of the temple was from that area, which we know now as Iraq and and so on. It's very interesting. Very interesting. It's not just Rome, but a specific section of it, of the Roman Empire. So, during the tribulation period, there's going to be one worldwide unifying religion that all the kings of the earth will approve of, and it will be centered from Babylon. Alright? Look at Revelation 17.5 and Revelation 17.18 again to see, see what I'm talking about. Revelation 17.5, it says, "In her on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. That's where it all started. Then look at verse 18. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. And again, as you're going to see throughout the rest of our study tonight, in, in a lot of detail, it is Babylon. Babylon will be this headquarters for the, for the Antichrist kingdom. All right? Now, go ahead. Our largest embassy is being built in Babylon right now? Not surprised. Not surprised. Yep. Now, the woman 
the one world false religion is going to sit on the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns for a time, as we'll see in this passage. Now, we've already been introduced to this beast, you know, in our study of Revelation. Who is the beast? It's the Antichrist and his kingdom. You remember the, the seven heads, it says here in the, in the passage that we read, the seven heads of the beast refer to the seven kings that rule over the face of the earth. Five have fallen, one is, and one is still to come. I want you to see that. Look at, at verse 9. This calls for mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. We'll deal with that in a sec. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. And then it describes, as for the beast that was and is not, it's an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and goes to destruction. So the seven heads of the beast, which is the Antichrist and his kingdom, the seven heads of this beast, five of them at this time that John was writing, had fallen. Does anybody know who they are? Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Those are the five world kingdoms throughout history up to that point. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. One is, which is what? Rome at the time of John's writing. Remember, Rome's in power at this time over the globe, and he's been dispersed to the Isle of Patmos because of that. The next one has not yet come. But all we know about this next coming world kingdom that's going to rule over the whole face of the earth is that it's going to be made up of ten kings or ten kingdoms. I hope the United States is not one of them. It may be. Folks, let's just be honest. We don't know how this election is going to go, do we? Does anybody have any idea? No one even has a clue. God does. But here's the thing. No matter how it plays out, it doesn't look good for the United States. No matter which way you go. But... Either the United States will be a part of one of these ten kingdoms that have all agreed to come together under one kingdom, or we're of no consequence because we're not stopping it. And something's happened to us as a nation where we don't even, we don't even put a stop to it. But the Bible says that coming in the very near future is going to be a one last one world kingdom, and leaders uh, in our government for years have been a part of helping move this forward. And it's going to happen at God's time and in God's way. We need to pray and we need to vote and we need to be involved in what God is showing us and how he wants us to. And we need to make sure we don't tear each other up in the process. But at the same time, you need to keep in mind that however it plays out, God is in control. And at some time in the near future, there's going to be a one world kingdom made up of ten kingdoms where they all agree to come together to give their power to a one world government. All right. Now, notice how they come together under the Antichrist to make war against who? You're in verse 13. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast, and they will make war on who? On the lamb. And the lamb will conquer. Remember how we looked at last time we were together? The battle of Armageddon is not these nations to come against Israel per se. They're gathering to fight against Jesus. We saw that last week when we looked at Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and take their stand against the Son of God? They're actually coming to fight against Jesus because Satan knows that Jesus is coming back to this earth. Satan, that's why he's going to indwell the Antichrist and he's going to empower the Antichrist and he's going to gather the kings of the earth to fight against Jesus because he thinks maybe if I get a big enough army, I can defeat him. And the Bible is very clear that he won't. Now, some have tried to say that since the seven heads also refer to seven mountains on which the woman sits and Rome is known as the city on seven hills, this means Rome and not Babylon. 
First of all, Rome actually sits on nine hills, not seven. For years, people have said it's a city on seven hills. And actually, if you do real research, you'll find out that it sits on nine hills. And secondly, there are over 60 nations or cities, I don't mean nations, cities that actually sit on seven hills. I think the seven mountains that the woman sits on ties back to the whole kings and kingdoms. Because mountains were referred to as being areas of kingdoms and stuff. And so I don't believe this is referring specifically to the city of Rome, which has been taught for a long, long time in prophecy circles. All right. Now look again at Revelation chapter 17, verse 6. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. All right. This one world religion will kill all people who hold to Christianity and Jesus being the only way to be saved. Remember, the church is gone at this point. We're, we're not here for the tribulation period. But for, during the first half of the tribulation period, since the church is gone, there's going to be a one world, because of the chaos most likely that's happened because of the rapture, the, the nations are going to all come together in a one world government. If that doesn't happen prior to the tribulation, I don't know. But there's going to be a one world government and there's going to be a one world religion. That's why this woman, the prostitute, which she got her head start in Babylon, this one world religion, this false religion is going to sit on the beast. She's riding it for a time. She gets her authority and her power from the beast. And this one world religion is going to be over the whole face of the globe. And anyone that says after the church is gone, anyone that comes to faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation period, they're going to be put to death because they don't join in with this one world religion, whatever it is. We could make speculation and I could make speculation, but we just don't know. The 144,000 she won't be able to kill because those are Jewish witnesses that are sealed by God. Very good. Now look, and we don't have to turn there. In John 14, 6, what does the scripture say? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Folks, there are too many people in churches today that say, well, the, the Jesus is the only way for me, but there may be other ways. Folks, how could you even say that if Jesus himself said, I'm the only way to the Father? If Jesus said he's the only way, there are no other ways. He's not the only way just for you. He's the only way, period. In Acts chapter 4, we're not going to take the time to turn there because of how much we need to cover tonight. But in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. It's Jesus. He's the only way. And in Revelation chapter 20, the scripture will, you can look at later on in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, it talks about all the people who had been beheaded for their faith in Jesus. Now let me just make a little commercial. Who's doing that right now? The Muslims are the ones that are beheading people because of their faith in Christ. Now, I'm just going to just give you that little tidbit. Please do not hear Jim say the one world religion is going to be Islam. But I'm going to point out to you something tonight in this passage that is very, very interesting that might point in that direction. Let me show you what I mean in just a second. At the midpoint, though, of the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to turn on the one world religion and declare himself to be God. And only he can be worshipped. The false prophet we see, is, remember, uh, well, let me, let me just have you read there. Go to verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 16. It says, And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute, and they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. 
For God has put it in their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handling, handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And so this one world religion that's going to be riding the beast and giving it a one world religion authority over the whole globe during this time, at the midpoint of the tribulation, you know we've already studied how the Antichrist is going to step into the temple and declare himself to be God. At that point, he's going to bring an end to this one world religion that everybody's been sucked into. And he's going to be the one declaring himself to be God. And this one world religion is going to be destroyed at that time. Um, we're not going to, again, for the sake of turn there, if you want to double check me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Talk about that. I want you to see Daniel 7, 23 through 25, though. I really want you to go ahead and turn there. All right, the first one that I want you to look up is 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4. And we're going to turn to Daniel 7, verses 23 through 25. Daniel 7, 23 through 25. Daniel chapter 7, look at verse 23. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. Now, some of you say, wait a minute. I thought we just saw that there were going to be seven and then an eighth. Keep in mind, when Daniel was given this vision and he was shown at that point, Babylon was in control. And remember, Egypt had already been in authority. That one wasn't being listed because it's the ones to come. And then we'd also already seen Assyria had been in authority, but that one wasn't being listed. And so when Daniel's given his vision, Babylon's the one in authority. And then there was going to be Medo-Persia, and then there was going to be Greece, and then there was going to be Rome. And then, of course, the Roman Empire is rebuilt in the, in the last days in this last kingdom to come before Jesus. It says, Thus for the fourth beast there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the former ones. And he shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Then it goes on and talks about how Jesus is going to come and set up his kingdom. So again, we see that at the midpoint of the tribulation, the Antichrist, who has been a part of these ten kings, but then has become... He, three of the kings are removed in that time, and he becomes the head over, the, over this whole one world religion. I mean, sorry, one world government. He's going to declare himself to be God, and all the kingdoms are going to turn on this false religion that's been allowed for a time, and that only worship of the Antichrist himself will be allowed from that point on. And we've already done the study how there's the Antichrist, and you have the false prophet, and they make an image of the beast, and anybody that doesn't worship the image of the beast is going to be put to death. They have to receive a mark and all that. We've already done that whole study. Now, look at how the beast or the Antichrist is described in chapter 17, verse 8. Has anybody caught this yet? Look at Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. Anybody caught it yet? How is the Antichrist described? Was is not and is to come. Remember how we've talked about how Satan has been trying to copy things? How we have the dragon, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, and we have God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Christ, the Son, rose from the dead and has always been described as the one who was, is, and is to come. Here the Antichrist is described as the one who was, is not, and is to come. And then he'll go to destruction. 
Now, some prophecy people think, and I lean in this direction a little, I don't have a full understanding of this, is that this is a picture of the fact that the Antichrist is going to somehow be put to death, and then he's going to rise from the dead, pretty much like Jesus, to be, again, a, a duplicate of what Jesus did. Strong possibility, because we saw earlier in our study that he had a mortal wound. Remember, that means he is killed and he's going to come back to life. I believe the Antichrist in some way is going to appear to have come back to life. But it's interesting how the Antichrist is described as was, is not, and is to come. Please hear speculation. Not Jim teaching this how it will be. But it's interesting that the Muslims teach that there's coming a 12th Imam to rule the world. And if you study the Muslim teaching on eschatology or the end times and things, they believe that this 12th Imam was an individual who already lived at one time and is in hiding. And then he's going to miraculously, when this chaos on the globe, come back to the earth and he's going to rule and reign. Little do they know if their prophecy is correct, that there is going to be such an individual, he won't be teaching Islam when he reveals himself to be who he really is. He's going to declare that everybody worship him, which, by the way, the Muslims will have nothing to do with as well if they're true Muslims, because only in their mind who they call Allah can be worshipped. But let me just tell you, isn't that interesting that they teach that there's a 12th Imam coming who used to live on this earth, who doesn't now, he's in hiding somewhere, but he's going to make an appearance again in the last days. I'm not saying that the one world religion will be Islam. Do not hear me say that. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of things that make me in the scriptures wonder very seriously if it isn't. With what's going on in, across our globe, what's happening with the fact that the Bible says they're beheaded for their faith, with the fact that if you do a study of all the woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you nations that are prophesied in the, about the last days, they're all Muslim countries. And what is happening right now with all the different things and the wars that are happening and the immigration that's happening across the globe, folks, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if the one world religion doesn't have a lot of Islam in it. And the sad thing is, Please hear me. I'm not bashing the Roman Catholic Church. But leaders in the Roman Catholic Church for many years, unfortunately, have been working toward ecumenicism and getting together with Muslim leaders and all this for a long, long time. I believe there are true believers in the Catholic Church who have their faith in Jesus Christ. This isn't a bash on the Catholic Church. But I'm telling you, if you follow history and you see what's been happening in our day, leaders in the Roman Catholic Church have been pushing towards this kind of unification, even agreeing with Muslims. I don't know what the one world religion is going to look like, but Mystery Babylon had its roots in Babylon, and it's going to head back somehow to an organized one world thing that is not toward Jesus Christ. All right. With all that said, I think we're going to get chapter 18 in tonight. Go to Revelation 18. <clears throat> There's a whole lot more in here, but most of everything that's in here we've already covered in our other study of other sections. In Revelation chapter 18, look at verses 1 through 24. John says, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons 
a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in, in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come, up, come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her, and the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off and in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, and all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls." The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of, the, of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste." And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been slain on earth. Now, here we see a, a lot of description of the future destruction of Babylon. Let me say a couple of things to you, and then I'm going to show you how most of chapter 18 is just simply John quoting from the Old Testament. There's not a lot new written in chapter 18 that hasn't already been written in the Old Testament. Because God had prophesied about the future destruction of Babylon. Now, let me just say a couple of things real quick along that line, and then I'm going to start showing you the parallels. For years, people have said, it can't be Babylon. Babylon can't be Babylon because we, it talks about how the merchants of the sea watch its burning. And they say the city of Babylon is 300 miles from the nearest port. 
And for years, as people read this prophecy, they pictured it had to be some city on a body of water for the people in the boats to watch its burning. But now, with the day and age of which we have satellite and the ability, if you look at the prophecy again, look again at verse uh, 18. It says, in all this, sorry, verse 17, all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea, stood where? Far off. And cried as they seen the smoke of her burning. First of all, it doesn't have to be on a port city, because if it, all the ships of the whole world see it, they ain't going to be on one port. And on top of that, the Bible said they've all seen it from afar. Folks, it doesn't have to be a port city. Now, people have also said, well, it can't be Babylon, because the prophecy said that in the Old Testament that in the destruction of Babylon, it'll never be inhabited. And the Medes and the Persians came in and brought judgment. What did the Medes and the Persians do when they won and defeated Babylon? They inhabited it. And on top of that, I'm going to show you tonight that many of the prophecies in the Old Testament about a future destruction of Babylon could not have happened yet because they are so clearly haven't been fulfilled. There must be a future destruction of the city of Babylon. Now, someone else are saying, OK, Jim, <coughs> excuse me, he goes, I'm with you so far. I can see how it may be Babylon, but Babylon's not even close to the most powerful city on the earth right now. It's actually it's kind of a desert desert kind of area and all. Let me just kind of catch you up on a few things you may or may not know. Y'all have heard of Saddam Hussein, haven't you? When he was in power, he began rebuilding it for his own sake. <coughs> Excuse me. He wanted to be the next Nebuchadnezzar. Once we got him out of there, billions, and I'm going small, billions of oil dollars began to be flooded into there. Go and just start researching what's going on in Babylon right now. As you just brought out, America is building a, an embassy there in Babylon. It is the biggest, most grand, amazing embassy we've built anywhere. And the Bible has been saying that at some point, the headquarters of the world are going to be there. They say, Jim, that's going to take a little while. You're talking about the soon of the rap time of the rapture. How can there be the rapture? And then all of a sudden, Babylon become the world power. Hang on for a second. Nowhere does the Bible say the rapture happens and then the tribulation begins. The rapture can happen tonight. That doesn't mean the tribulation begins. Tribulation doesn't begin until there's this confirming of the covenant with the many nations and the nation of Israel. Folks, there could be 10, 20, 30, 40 years between the rapture and when this tribulation, this last seven years, begins. But if you do a little research, you'll find out that Babylon is being rebuilt in our day. And it is becoming an amazing place. Two of the seven wonders of the world are there in Babylon. I'm sorry? It's in Iraq. It's in Iraq. Listen closely. If the Bible says that Babylon's going to be the headquarters of everything that happens on the globe in the very last days, believe it. You may and I may not see it in our lifetime. But I, I bet you not long after the rapture of the church, things will pick up speed. Well, and how often do, do we say we're so tired of the United Nations because we support them all, we pay for it, everything, mm -hmm. and everything they do is basically against Israel. So get them out of the United States. How, how perfect for them to move everything there. Yeah. The Bible says it's going to happen. Now, what I want to do in the time we have left is to show you this destruction of Babylon is not only because of its religious ideology that started there and will be headquartered there at the end times. It's also because of material and commercial sins. Go to Isaiah 13, Isaiah 13, verses 1 through 13. 
Isaiah 13, starting in verse 1. Your Bibles that have headings, what does it say? The judgment of Babylon. The oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw, on a bare hill raise a signal, cry aloud to them, wave the hand for them to enter the gates of the nobles. I myself have commanded my consecrated ones and have summoned my mighty men to execute my anger, my proudly exalting ones. The sound of a tumult is on the mountains as of a great multitude. The sound of an uproar of kingdoms and of nations gathering together. The Lord of hosts is mustering a host for battle. They come from a distant land, from the end of the heavens, the Lord and the weapons of His indignation to destroy the whole land. Wail, wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble. Every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of His fierce anger. Now, go to verse 19. By the way, did, did y'all catch what we were reading that? That was the battle of Armageddon. When Jesus comes and the nations all gather and he comes with his tumult and he shuts off the sun and the moon and he comes and shakes the whole earth, everything we looked at last time we were together. But look at verse 19. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor of, and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. And it will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherds will make their flocks lie down there. But wild animals will lie down there and their houses will be full of howling creatures. Their ostriches will dwell and their wild goats will dance. Hyenas will cry in its towers and jackals in the pleasant palaces. It, its time is close at hand and its days will not be prolonged. Now in the verses I skipped... Verses 14 through 15, if you look closely, you'll see that he then talks about the coming destruction or the judgment because through the Medes and the Persians. And you can look at it later on. Verse 17, Behold, I'm storing up the Medes against them and those who have no regard for silver and do not delight in gold and so on. God did bring a judgment on that time in Babylon through the Medes and the Persians. But let me ask you this question. As we read the other verses, did the Medes and the Persians do all that the prophecy said was going to happen to Babylon in the other verses? Not even close. So the fact that people say, well, Babylon's never to be inhabited again. It can't be Babylon. Well, the prophecies about it never to be inhabited again have not happened yet. There's still a, a future time. Go to Isaiah 14. You're in Isaiah 13. Look at Isaiah 14. Look at verses 22 and 23. I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts. And will cut off from Babylon name and remnant, descendants and posterity, declares the Lord. And I will make it a possession of the hedgehog and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, declares the Lord of hosts. Again, the prophecy said how the scripture shows that God's going to judge Babylon in the last days. Let me take you back to Revelation, though, to chapter 16 and remind you when this is going to happen. It's going to be a part of the bowls of God's wrath. You remember? In uh, verse 12, uh, chapter 16, verse 13, I saw coming out 
of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for their demonic spirits performing signs who will go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. Behold him coming like a thief, he goes on and says. Look at verse 16. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It's done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake, the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountain were to be found, and great hailstones fell on people. Remember, it's at the very end of the tribulation period, in the seventh bowl of God's wrath, that He brings His final judgment at the battle of Armageddon. When He comes back and sets up His kingdom, in the process, He's going to turn the moon to darkness. The sun won't give its light. He's going to shake the whole earth, as we've already seen, with all the mountains disappearing, every island disappearing. And in the midst of all this, He's going to pour out a judgment on the city of Babylon at the exact same time. He's already begun that when he sends sores on the Antichrist and his kingdom, and it's turned to darkness on the previous bowls. But I want you to understand that these prophecies, and I'm going to give you a list of them to go home and take a look at later on, they all talk of a future destruction of Babylon that is not done by man, but only can be done by God and his angels. And so I just want you to understand, as we keep moving forward, just be alert to what the Scripture says, and don't be surprised when you see the world start moving in that direction to be the headquarters of everything. Don't be shocked when that section of the globe all of a sudden has become more and more prominent, and we here in America become less and less significant. And unfortunately, if we are significant at all, we're one of the ten kingdoms. Not a good thing either. But the Bible says at the very last days, every nation on the earth will be against Israel. And if we even exist, that has to include us or God's word's not true. What are we to do? Give up? Build some kind of Christian retreat where we can just wait until he comes and gets us? No, if the salt has lost its saltiness, what good is it? We're still be used of God to slow the decay. Let me just give you a couple more real quick. I want you to compare Revelation chapter 18, verses 4 through 6, with Jeremiah 51, verses 45 through 64. Again, what I'm giving you now is going to be on your piece of paper, so you don't have to write these down. Revelation 18, verses 4 through 6. Revelation 18, look at verses 4 through 6. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. Now, read with me Jeremiah 51, verses 45 through 64, and tell me if this doesn't sound a little bit familiar. Jeremiah 51, starting in verse 45. Go out of the midst of her, my people. Does that sound familiar? We just read it in, in Revelation 18. Go out of her, the midst of my people. Let everyone save his life from the fierce anger of the Lord. Let not your heart faint and not be fearful. And at the report heard in the land, when a report comes in one year, and afterward a report in another year, and violence is in the land, and a ruler is against ruler, 
Therefore, behold, the days are coming when I will punish the images of Babylon. Her whole land shall be put to shame, and all her slain shall fall in the midst of her. Then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them shall sing for joy over Babylon, for the destroyer shall come against them out of the north, declares the Lord. Babylon must fall for the slain of Israel, just as for Babylon have fallen the slain of all the earth. You, have escaped, you who have escaped from the sword, go, do not stand still. Remember the Lord from far away, and let Jerusalem come into your mind. We are put to shame, for we have heard reproach, and dishonor has covered our face. For foreigners have come into the holy places of the Lord's house. And then it just goes on. Let me jump down to verse 59. The word that Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sariah, the son of Neriah, the, uh, the son of Mahasiah, when he went to Zed with Zedekiah, the king of Judah, to Babylon. In the fourth year of his reign, Sariah was the quartermaster, and Jeremiah wrote in a book of all the disaster that should come upon Babylon. All these words that are written concerning Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, When you come to Babylon, see that you read all these words and say, O Lord, you have, uh, o Lord, you have said concerning this place that you will cut it off so that nothing shall dwell in it, neither man nor beast, and it shall be desolate. How long? Forever. When you finish reading this book, look at what he's told. When you finish reading this book, tie a stone to it and cast it in the midst of the Euphrates, and say, Thus shall Babylon sink to rise no more, because of the disaster that I'm bringing upon her, and they shall become exhausted. Go back to Revelation chapter 18. Look at verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone, like a great millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence, and be found no more. Folks, I could spend a lot more time in this. We're running out of time. Let me show you one more section. Go to Revelation chapter 18, verses 7 and 8. Revelation chapter 18, verses 7 and 8. And as she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Go to Isaiah 47. We've already seen that Babylon says, I sit as queen, I'm not a widow. Listen to Isaiah 47, verses 7 through 9. And again, if you've seen your heading at the, chapter, at the beginning of chapter 47, the humiliation of Babylon, look at verse 7 of Isaiah 47. You said, I shall be a mistress forever, so that you did not lay these things to, your, to heart or remember their end. Now therefore hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am and there's no one besides me. I shall not be a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment, in, a day, in one day. The loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. What I want you to see is, is Revelation 18 especially is pretty much just John under the leadership of the Spirit pulling back prophecies from the Old Testament and just putting them together. And what he saw was a fulfillment of this prophecies that have been there for a thousand years, thousands of years about a future destruction of Babylon. Folks, all I can tell you is you can try to stop it all you want. It won't be stopped. It's going to happen. We, we spend too much time lamenting where our country is going. Folks, if we're faithful to the scriptures, we need to be understanding that that is going to happen. 
We should pray for our country, pray for our leaders, beg God. But too many Christians are thinking if we can just get enough people, we can turn this around and make God a liar. Or believe that what he says is true and be used to hopefully snatch some from the fire between now and then. And that will make a difference. It'll help us because in this day and age in which we live, which things will continue to get worse and worse and worse. You will be able, because of your understanding of who God is and what he's promised and what he said for those of us who are his, to honestly have a peace in this time. Folks, I'm going to say it. Don't get mad at me, but even if you do, I don't care. Even if Hillary wins, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Now, I'm not voting that way. I'm not going to tell you who I'm voting for because that'll just I'll put you in one camp against me or for me. I'm going down that road. If you were more mature, I might tell you who I vote for. Actually, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. I don't know. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. I'm going to pray between now and then. Have been. Right now, I have no idea. I know who I'm not voting for. But at the same time, listen to me. It's too, it's, it's, it's time for us as Christians to stop acting like God's not in control. And we spend so much time talking about how America used to be great and is going down the tubes. That may be the case, but God hasn't softened. God hasn't lost his authority. God hasn't changed. And we who are his people should be people that people say, hey, in the midst of the craziness, what gives you reason to have hope? Because I'm not looking to man or a nation to take care of me. When I trusted Christ as my savior, I became a part of a bigger kingdom. And oh, by the way, the Bible says that there is a coming king who's going to set up his kingdom on this earth. And it'll be a kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever. And that's who I voted for when I gave him my life. And one day we're going to see all these other kings think they're going to be in power. And we're going to see the whole world come together and think we're going to be all right. They're all going to hold hands and sing. We are the world. Remember that? And God laughs. But there is a kingdom that is coming and it already exists. It's in us and among us, those who trust him. And I want to encourage you in these days. The Bible's already told us all this is going to happen. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't give up. Keep being salt and light until he takes us out of here because he is still restraining the man of lawlessness and lawlessness, even though it's at work in this world. He's restraining it through his church, through the power of the spirit. And until he takes us away, we need to be faithful to stand for truth, preach righteousness, but love people in the same time and take your eyes off of whether you're watching Fox News or CNN and all this stuff. This is all happening on Super Tuesday and you guys are here reading what's more important. Praise the Lord for that. Don't get sucked into the things of this world. They're all going to come to an end, and Jesus is going to start over with his own kingdom. Let's wait for that one. All right? I love you all. Thanks for coming. We'll see you in two weeks.